Welcome to Kaya, the college and young adult ministry of Midtown Baptist Temple, a ministry seeking to pursue a deeper faith in Jesus Christ through God's word, fellowship, and prayer. We are in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, and we have been talking about judgment, judgment, It's the thing that no one wants to talk about, but here we are, okay? And in chapter 5, we've been looking at this idea that Paul wants the church in Corinth to learn how to judge themselves, okay? Judge yourselves. Be be, um, about self-inspection so that no one has to for you, right? I mean, what we learned is that, that Paul's... Paul was saying, hey, I can come down there and I can judge or you can await the chastising hand of God uh, or you could learn how to be a self-inspector and you can look at the church and you can look at your own life and you can determine based on the conviction of the Holy Spirit and the authority of God's word what is not right, what is not adding up, what, what is not the character of Christ in your life and you can learn how to deal with that. The Corinthian church had some really uh, jacked up stuff going on, right? D- didn't they? Right? We don't need to rehash that. But it was vile. It was disgusting. And it was allowed to go on right there in the midst of their services. When they gathered together, it was the elephant in the room, right? It was a, it was a sin that was so egregious that not even, not even Corinthian society uh, could, could wink at it or dismiss it. It was vulgar. And it was happening right there in the church, and they were doing nothing about it. Now, the problem is that there were repercussions for allowance, right? There were repercussions for them allowing that to happen. Members of the church had no idea, had no idea just how serious the issue was because they were too arrogant, too proud, too busy, too busy patting themselves on the back. Now, this idea of self-inspection, it reminds me of the book of Judges, right? Now, if you know about Judges, if you've ever read that book, it starts by painting the picture of what's going to be seen throughout the book. The first couple of chapters, they give you an insight into what the book is about. Now, the nation of Israel had just come into the land of promise, right? God had promised them this land, and, and he brought them there, and it was time for them to claim the land. And in, in tribal fashion, they were supposed to go and, and, and conquer and divide through war, and claim lands that belonged to them that were occupied by wicked and evil government. Okay, They were supposed to go in and through battle and through self-sacrifice, they were supposed to fight the enemy and clear them off the land. And instead of doing that, they found a way to coexist with the wicked. They found a way to just go along to get along, allow them, allowing themselves to mingle and, and to, to engage with wicked people. They, they found a way to do society and do community with people that God said were his enemy. And God had to send judges into the land to do the work that the, the people were unwilling to do. Now that reminds me a lot of what Paul's threatening here. He's like, don't make me come down there. Don't make me come down there and do the work that you're supposed to be doing as the local church. Now why does Paul insist that we as local churches... Midtown Baptist Temple, think about us for a second. Why does he insist that as local churches we learn to judge and to deal with sin in-house? Why does he do that? Well, because ultimately God wants to give the local church liberty. 
Now, now liberty is going to come up a lot throughout 1 Corinthians, and we'll come back to this repeatedly, but he wants to give the local church liberty. He wants local congregations under the authority of Scripture and in the power of his Spirit to have freedom and autonomy to worship and to minister and to deal with problems that it faces. God has bestowed upon us a great work, Midtown Baptist Temple. And he has given us a kind of freedom that we do not deserve. He has given us his spirit and he's given us his word as a guide so that we could go out and be purposed for his name. And as we do that, problems are gonna arise. Struggles are going to come. Issues and heartache and heartbreak and, 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 and difficulty and sin, they're going to come our way, and we have to know how to deal with them. He's given us everything that we need in order to function as his bride. God has made us spiritual agents as his church, and he's given us spiritual agency to administer and to divide and to preach and to push and to provoke and to be everything that he's called his saints to be. Now, what we're going to learn today is that there was not just an issue of sin in the church that needed to be dealt with, but there was also an issue of interpersonal division. There was relationship problems in the church. People weren't getting along. Arguments and disagreements that people didn't know how to resolve. They didn't know what to do. People were at odds with one another. So instead of working through their problems, the church in Corinth decided to go to Roman law, to go to court, to sue people in order to, to get things resolved. They needed a mediator, and instead of being the, the, the judges that they were supposed to be, they went to the world for answers. And that's what we're gonna talk about today. Today, we're gonna ask ourselves the following question. Okay, you ready? And this is what we're getting into. Be ready. Do I know how to make things right with my brothers and sisters in Christ? Do I know how to resolve issues when they come up? When I'm not getting along with someone, listen to me. If you're here for any length of time, you are going to find yourself in disagreement with someone else. You're going to find yourself frustrated with a brother and sister in Christ. You're going to find yourself in disagreement. There's no way around it. That's how family works, right? Right? You know that about your own family. Does your own family get along all the time? Right? Or do sometimes you bicker with your brothers and sisters? Do you sometimes, are you sometimes frustrated with decisions that your parents make, right? Families work that way, and it's not any different for the family of God. We are going to find ourselves from time to time in disagreement with one another. And the question is, what do you do about that? What do you do about that? Now, God gives us a very clear prescription from his word, and we're going to look at that today. But before we do, I'm going to pray one more time for the sermon And uh, you need to have your finger in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, where we'll dive in and read in just a moment. Are we ready today? It's summertime. Summertime. And some of you got the summertime blues. Okay? Right? You stayed up too late. You're feeling that break, aren't you? You're feeling the freedom. You're staying up too late. You stayed up late on Saturday night playing video games, watching a movie. Some of you are already getting into Obi-Wan Kenobi. Okay? Stranger Things is out. Okay? I know what you're doing. Okay? Don't let your binging habits get in the way of God's word today. All right? Let's get focused. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, we need your spirit to teach us something. 
and we are, we are just proud enough and arrogant enough and weak in our flesh enough uh, to completely dismiss, sit here for 45 minutes and completely dismiss everything you have to teach us. So God, don't let us be like the Corinthian church. Lord, teach us, use them to teach us uh, what it means uh, to be self-inspectors, to judge, to judge our own heart, to judge our mind, and to function rightly within the body of Christ. Help us today. I ask it in Jesus' name, amen. Verse one, dare any of you, having a matter against another, go to law before the unjust and not before the saints? Do ye not know that the saints shall judge the world? And if the world shall be judged by you, are ye unworthy to judge the smallest matters? Know ye not that we shall judge angels? How much more things that pertain to this life? If then ye have judgments of things pertaining to this life, set them to judge who are least esteemed in the church. I speak to your shame. Is it so that there is not a wise man among you? No, not one that shall be able to judge between his brethren. But brother goeth to law with brother and that before the unbelievers. Now, therefore, there is utterly a fault among you because ye go to law one with another. Why do ye not rather take the wrong? Why do ye not rather suffer yourselves to be defrauded? Nay, ye do wrong and defraud, and that your brethren. Know ye not that the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God? Be not deceived. Neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate, nor abusers of themselves with mankind, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor, nor revilers, nor extortioners, shall inherit the kingdom of God. And such were some of you. But ye are washed, but ye are sanctified, but ye are justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of God. Okay, let's start here. There's gonna be conflict in the church. There's gonna be conflict. Verse one, dear any of you having a matter against another, go to law before the unjust and not before the saints. The church in Corinth has some relationship issues relationships that had gone sour. And these individuals' first course of action seems to have been to turn to Roman law and the judgment of the courts. Now, we don't know what the issues were. Maybe they were related to what was going on in the last chapter. Hi, hi Lauren. What a great surprise. It's good to see you. Sorry to call you out. Couldn't help it. Okay, but, but, but we don't know what was going on, and maybe it was related to the last chapter, or, or maybe it was something different entirely. We don't know. They don't, they don't tell us. Maybe, maybe it was unsettled debt. Maybe there was an issue between people over money. Bad business deals. Christians using one another for different services and then failing to pay each other. I don't, I don't know. Maybe it was a roommate that wouldn't pay rent on time. Or just as bad, a roommate that won't clean up after themselves. Gentlemen, okay, calling you out. I know that there are, there are people in this ministry that have to put up with your stinky and disgusting lifestyle. It's time to grow up. And you, you, know, you just better be happy that they can't sue you. Take you to Roman court, okay? Just start cleaning up after yourselves. This is for the women too. I know y'all are disgusting too. Okay. Now, what we do know is that, is that the unity of their love had become strained. 
the unity of love that they had had become strained and even broken, and they had failed to preserve the bonds of peace and understanding between one another. It wasn't right. Something wasn't right. Proverbs 18, 19 says, A brother offended is harder to be won than a strong city. And their contentions are like the bars of a castle. Don't you know what, that's how it is when, when there are strains in relationships, there are contentions, there are frustrations between brothers and sisters in Christ. It feels like they're bars to the castle and you can't break through and you don't know what to do. And the more you love someone, the more difficult these situations can become. The more gravity that you feel, the more difficult it feels, the more confusing it feels, the more complex it is. The, the more you love someone, the more difficult it can be when things aren't right and you're at odds with one another. So while we don't know the issues surrounding the disunity in Corinth, what we do know is that we too have issues with our brothers and sisters in Christ that many times we don't know how to resolve. We don't know how to deal with. And so we have a lot to learn from their situation. Now listen, it's not that the court system necessarily was bad, right? Right? In Romans chapter 13, we know, we learn that God has put in order governance and judicial system that it would be there for us when we need it, right? God has been gracious to us in America with a, with a governmental system. It doesn't work perfectly, okay? But we have been given a system of law so that if we need it, we can rely on it. But the issue here is that they didn't need it. They didn't need it. Why? Why? Why shouldn't Christians be able to deal with things this way? Why shouldn't Christians be able to, to, to leverage the secular world to help them resolve their problems? Why, why shouldn't we be able to go to the lost world and find answers there and get the mediation we need, get the therapy that we need to deal with our anxiety? Get the credit card that we need to, to cover the issues of our financial debt. Why shouldn't we be able to go to the secular world for answers in order to fix our problems? Because God didn't build it that way. First of all, Christians shouldn't be disputing with one another. Relational contention, maybe it's a reality. Maybe it's going to happen. Maybe we can't avoid it. But it's not what Christ bled and died, died for. That's not what he died for. And if we understood this, if we understood the gravity and the power and the, and the love of the blood of Jesus Christ, if we understood and saw things the way that he saw them, then all quarrels would cease and all contentions would die the instant they arose. As Christians, we bear the name of Christ. We carry his namesake. And our actions and behavior within the household of faith displays positively or negatively on the reputation of that namesake. The way we behave and the way we act, I mean, imagine for a moment, just imagine for a moment contextually what's going on here in Corinth. I mean, not only can the lost world see what was happening in chapter 5, not only can they see the, the sin of the church in Corinth on display, but now, now they see that in the household of God, they can't even deal with their own problems. That their God must not be sufficient and that they have to utilize. Like even in Roman society, 
People did not want to go to Roman law. You understand that, right? That in the Roman law system there in Corinth in particular, that it was common for people to, 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 to face um, bias because of their, their lack of wealth, right? Because their status in society. And the judges in places like Corinth, and, 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 and it was common in, in Roman law for people to stand uh, as judges from morning, when the sun came up to the very end of the day, and it was common for them to be prejudicial against people who were poor, right? It wasn't anything different than what we see today. You could pay off a judge, right? You could, you could, you could use your status, your, your, your social symbolism to sway the way people saw the situation, and you could convince people to, to have mediation go in your favor. It was bias. It wasn't judicious. It was the best, it was the best that lost men can do. It's not what they needed. Now here's the point I want to make. Here's our first key point. It's a dishonor to our Christian character when we fail to take responsibility for family matters. It's a blemish on Christ's name when we don't even know how to deal with our own situations. When we can't turn to what God's given us in the church and we can't rely and lean on what God's given us in his word and we can't abide by what the spirit is convicting us of, when we can't do those things and we turn to the lost world for help, because God's way isn't getting it done, I guess. No, 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 no. That's a tarnish to his name. We must take responsibility for family matters. I can't help but think of Steve Urkel when I say the words family matters. <laughs> I'm sorry. I dealt with the whole sermon I kept thinking about. Some of you don't even, you never watched the reruns. You, st you, st you, st you guys are missing out. That's one of the greatest shows of all time. I came, I came home on a Friday night, right? What do they call that? TGIF, that's right, TGIF. And it would be Boy Meets World, Sister, Sister, okay? And then it would be Family Matters, Step by Step, which was garbage. Great theme song, though. Great theme song. Okay, but, but we need to be able to deal with our family matters. As a family, we're going to have moments of conflict with one another, issues that cause us frustration, anger, sadness, and even bitterness. And God is saying that he wants us to learn how to deal with interpersonal issues without having to seek help from people outside of the situation itself, especially lost people who have no stock, no stock in the preservation of Christian unity. They, have, they, they see no value in what God is doing in this place. And yet we turn to them for help. Paul here is gonna make a theological argument that we are more than capable for handling our problems and our difficulties. Verse two, God has made us to be judicial. Check this out. Do ye not know that the saints shall judge the world? 
I mean, that's a big deal. That's a big deal. At the end of this age, at the end of the tribulation, we have been granted both military force, you understand? We are, we're going to come riding in with Jesus Christ. Now, I don't know how much we're going to actually do. He's going to do most of it, okay? But we come riding in with him. I don't know if you've read this in Revelation chapter 19 and 20, what's going on there, okay? But we ride in with force with Jesus Christ and impose military might on, this, on the enemies of God. That's a big deal. And at the end of all that, we will stand with him to judge over the wicked at the great white throne judgment. We're going to stand with Christ. Revelation chapter 20, verse 1. And I saw an angel come down from heaven, having the key of the bottomless pit and a great chain in his hand. And he laid hold on the dragon, that old serpent. I love that. That old serpent. Okay. Which is the devil and Satan. And bound him and bound him. A thousand years and cast him into the bottomless pit and shut him up and set a seal upon him that he should deceive the nations no more till the thousand years should be fulfilled. And after that, he must be loosed a little season. And I saw thrones. Okay, so there's these thrones and they sat upon them and, and judgment was given unto them. Okay, who was on these thrones? Those who'd been faithful witnesses of Christ. And I saw the souls of them that were beheaded for the witness of Jesus. And the, and, and the word of God, and which had not worshipped the beast, neither his image, neither had received his mark upon their foreheads or in their hands. And they lived and reigned with Christ a thousand years. It's the saints. It's the, the saints that stand with Christ at the great white throne judgment. And they dole out punishment to the wicked. In Daniel's famous end time prophecy, God tells us this. Daniel chapter 7 verse 18 and the saints of the Most High shall take the kingdom and possess the kingdom forever, ever, ever, forever, and ever, until the Ancient of Days came and judgment was given to the saints of the Most High. And the time came that, that the saints possessed the kingdom. Jude 1.14 says, And Enoch also, the seventh from Adam, prophesied of these things, saying, Behold, the Lord cometh with ten thousands of his saints to execute judgment upon all and to convince all that are ungodly among them of all their ungodly deeds, deeds which they have ungodly committed and all their hard speeches which ungodly sinners have spoken against them. Now, when you read that, it's, I know it's hard for you to imagine. I mean, after all, your lives are fairly boring, right? Compared to this, right? This is a hard thing to picture. Can you imagine yourself standing with, the Christ, with Christ at the end of all things, judging the wicked, flying through the sky on white horses. I mean, it's the thing of movies, isn't it? That's who you are, brothers and sisters. We will stand at the end of all things judging the unrighteousness. And yet, and yet, we're unable to resolve the most petty and paltry disputes between our spiritual siblings that we face from day to day. We can't even have right interpersonal relationships with one another? That's bizarre to me. It's bizarre to me that we can't handle our own relationships and yet we're gonna, we are going to stand as judges over all things? That was bizarre to Paul too. He said, and if, if the world shall be judged by you, are ye unworthy to judge the smallest matters? 
Don't you see that if God has counted you worthy of that honorable responsibility, that he has also counted you more than able to handle matters of contention among the brethren? Again, he further highlights some God's election of authority for the believers in the next verse. Know ye not that ye shall judge angels? Oh man, you're not even going to judge, just judge the wicked, but you're going to judge those wicked angels that before time began rose up in arrogance against God and the, and the, and the Trinity. You're going to stand as judges over those fallen creatures. 2 Peter 2.4, For if God spared not the angels that sinned, but cast them down to hell and delivered them into, in, into chains of darkness to be reserved unto judgment. It's a, it's a remarkable thought, right? That at the end of the millennial reign, at the great white throne judgment, and after the enemy has made his last charge on God's kingdom, that we will be there to cast Satan and his, and, and, and his cohorts into the bottomless pit, into the lake of fire for eternity. We'll be there. We'll stand there with him. That's powerful. And yet, and yet, we don't even know how to keep our own house in order. We don't know how to keep our own affairs in order. And at the first sign of contention or frustration or difficulty in relationship, we run away. We run to the world. And you know how you do that, right? There's a place that you retreat to that's not, that's not God's church, right? Maybe it's eating, maybe it's shopping, maybe it's drinking. Maybe it's education, maybe it's your job. Maybe it's lost friends, you know, old friends of yours that you go and, you know, when you need, you need to be a, a pick-me-up from the world, you go find them. That's not how we were built. That's not how God made us. That's not what he bled and died for. Verse three, we're capable of dealing with this conflict. Know ye not that we, shall, that we shall judge angels? How much more things that pertain to this life? If then ye have judgments of, the, of things pertaining to this life, set them to judge who are least esteemed in the church. I speak to your shame. Is it so that there is not a wise man among you? No, not one that shall be able to judge between his brethren. But brother goeth to law with brother, and that, and that before the unbelievers. Now, what he's saying here uh, is, that, is that we should be able, okay, this word least esteemed, this phrase least esteemed, means the least capable among you, okay? That we should be able to take even the least capable individual in our midst, which is probably me, okay, and set them forth to judge, and that person should be able to resolve the issue. Even the least of you, even the least intellectual, even the least emotionally sound, even the least gifted in our midst, even the least mature person among us should know how to fight for unity. And that individual is still more capable than any secular judge and even the wisest and most profound the world has to offer, they are more capable. They are more competent to stand judge over you. Man, that's saying a lot. That's saying a lot. 
Why is that? Why are we capable of that? Because God's put his spirit in us and he's given us his word. We are his saints. We are his children. Now, before we discuss how to handle conflict, because I think there's very practical things that we need to learn from God's word about how how we can go to one another and fix things that need mending. God's word shows us that stuff with with great clarity and we're going to get there. I think before we get there, though, it's important for us to consider all the ways in which we can destroy the fellowship that we have here. Like, I, I like to do this, right? I like to draw a contrast. And so we're going to look at this list of all the ways that we can ensure sustained con- conflict in this body and in your life, okay? Number one, are you ready? I like lists. I like them. You like the lists? Blake likes lists. You ready to write this stuff down? Do you guys ever just giggle whenever you see Eric Phillips taking pictures of the slideshow? Right? He holds his iPad up and takes a picture of every single slide, knowing that the PDF of this very slideshow is available for download online even right now. So if we move too fast for you, it's there, okay? But everyone laughs at him. Right? We've made it easy. The slideshow's right there, kaya.live. What? Oh, he's all right. He's a big boy. He can handle his own. Okay, how to ensure sustained conflict in your life. This is how you do it. Number one, trust your feelings. Trust your feelings. Oh, wait, wait, wait. What's wrong with that? What's wrong with trusting your feelings? You know what's really popular right now is the phrase, trust your gut. It's a phrase that has been popularized because we live in a therapeutic culture and because everyone listens to these crime thriller podcasts, me included, okay? And they always tell you, what should you do if you, if you feel like something's not right? You should trust your gut. You should trust how you feel, okay? Trust how you feel. Now, that might be fine to save your life from a serial killer, <laughs> but that's not how you function in Christian life. You don't, you don't rely on your feelings. You don't trust your feelings. And the worst thing you can do is if your gut is telling you something or telling you that someone has mistreated you, that's, the, that's usually the feeling, right? We get it in the pit of our stomach. Someone's treated me bad. Someone's treated me wrong. And to assume that that's justified. That's a justified feeling. Like it's okay to just feel like someone's treated you bad and just, to, and just go on from there. And just assume that. Assume that that person, and we'll come to assumptions later, that, assume that that person is out to get you. Assume that that person has your worst in mind. Yeah, trust your feelings. If you want this body to be divided, you want your life to be terrible and all of your relationships to be bad, trust how you feel. Number two, don't have clear concerns. Keep them vague and hard to understand. Oh, you've got qualms. You've got issues. You're frustrated about something. But when someone sits down to talk to you about it, you can't articulate your position worth a darn. So a a byproduct of trusting your feelings is ambiguity. I just feel this way. I just feel this way. And so it must be true. I mean, if there's a real problem and it needs to be dealt with, then you should probably be able to explain it. But if it's just, I feel, I, but I feel like, I feel like, 
That's the first sign that you actually are just choosing to be upset. You're choosing to be upset. And a lot of us are, are addicted to this because, you know, when you get upset this way, guess who sits at the center of the conflict? Guess who the attention is on? Guess who everything is about you in that moment? And so it actually, to be upset and to be frustrated with people and to trust your feelings, all those things, all they do is put you at the center of your world. They reinforce that you're always right and no one else can be. That's not good. Number three, always assume the worst of others' intentions. Like, like no one else actually makes mistakes. You know, every, every mistake that they make, it's not really a mistake. They're executing wickedness against you. Oh, that wasn't just an accident. That thing that they said, it was calculated and it was cold. That thing that they did, they must have been planning that for weeks. And we do this though, don't we? We assume, we assume things, we assume people's intentions, we don't, we don't trust or have hope or charity towards one another, we assume that other people are out to get us, and they did that thing to hurt us. What if it was just a mistake? What if other people are flawed the same way you are? What if, what if just by nature we tend to fail each other? Man. Number four. Judge others based on their past mistakes. You want, to, you want things to remain divisive? You want things to remain difficult? You want, you want the body to be divided? Judge others based on things that they did in their past. As though God didn't forgive them. As though God didn't restore them. As though, as though God didn't allow Jonah every opportunity to do what's right. Right? And so you, just, you, don't, you don't ever give people room to grow or to change. Right? Whoever they were four years ago, they're still that person. Deep down they really are. I know, I know. You don't know. You don't know. I like to believe that every person in this room that's committed themselves to spiritual growth is changing week to week, day by day. That none of us are who we are, were a month ago. That all of us are growing into conformity to Jesus Christ. And though, though we might have things that haunt us, we should never hold those things against one another, ever. Not for one second. It's not right. It's not right to do that. Because all of us, all of us in humility ought to be changing. We ought to be growing. Now, 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 listen, the flip side of that is if you want to be a trustworthy person, you actually do need to grow past your mistakes. Like, you get to create your own character, and you get to create, create your own narrative, and you can only be trusted with what you can be trusted with. And so while people shouldn't hold your past mistakes against you, they might not trust you in your present mistakes. <laughs> right? Okay, Next. Tell anyone who is willing to listen all your frustrations. You want to be divisive? You want to be divisive? You want to mess this whole thing up, that whatever God's doing here? Why don't you go around telling everyone who's willing to listen all the reasons why you're mad at so-and-so? 
why they did you dirty. So many of us, we, we got to be careful, okay, Christian, listen to me. We've got to be careful because sometimes we think we're going to seek counsel and we're only going to seek opportunity to gossip. We call it, we call it seeking counsel. I was wanting input from so-and-so, right? I wanted prayer concerning this situation. And then, and then in doing so, you've just gossiped someone else to death. Be careful with your words. Sometimes, sometimes you need to hold your tongue. And we'll get to that later. So, so be careful not to, to just blurt out everything that comes to your mind, every frustration. Preserve people. Like the counter to that is that you ought to be preserving your brothers and sisters in Christ, not smearing their reputation. Six, if you want to stay divisive, you want to stay out of unity with the body, you should be afraid of conflict. You should be afraid to disagree with people. You, you, should, you should think that going and confronting somebody and sitting down and talking with them, you should be afraid of that and you should think that that's dangerous to do. You should guard your heart and you should just go back in your corner into your dark place and just, I don't know, obsess over it. Be afraid of conflict if you don't want to get things right. But listen, if you're not afraid of conflict because you, you prefer your brothers and sisters in Christ over you, you will go in and engage that person you think that's wronged you and you will work to making it right because you are unafraid because you worship, you worship a God who gives us power and truth and a sound mind. And we should not fear anything in light of who he is. We, should, we shouldn't be afraid of conflict. Next, see conflicts in terms of win or lose. If, if you want sustained division in your life, think about every situation in the binary. Every situation in terms of winning or losing. There's no room for two people to be wrong. I can't be wrong and then be wrong at the same time. That's impossible. One of us has to be right and one of us has to be wrong. We couldn't both be right God forbid. There's no way that we could both be right. We either, one of us has to be right and one of us has to be wrong. That's just how it goes. And of course, I'm the winner and they're the loser. That's the way we think. But that's not how life is. Many times, many times, conflict in the body of Christ, both people are right and both people are wrong at the same time. And the job of conflict resolution is determining how both of you are right and both of you are wrong and asking forgiveness for the areas in which you're wrong and then agreeing upon the areas in which you're both right. This is what grown-up Christians do. Number eight, when resolution seems possible, deflect. (laughs) Let me explain this one to you. If you're in, if there's a division, if there's frustration, if there's disappointment and you begin working through it and you're getting to a place where there's resolution, if you want division to remain, the best thing you can do is fog things up all over again. Deflect, point that direction, then run that way, right? Oh, well, you know, 
I hear what you're saying, but you know, you didn't consider this person over here or that thing. You should go talk to them. You should, you, like there's so many of us that are so desperate to be right and so desperate to win that even at the moment of resolution, we deflect and we make it impossible. We, we, we muddy the water all over again. You know, these are tendencies that we all have. We all do this, all of us, because in our flesh, dwelleth no good thing. And the heart of a man is deceitfully wicked. And when you trust your heart above all things, it's going to produce wickedness. It's going to produce wickedness, which is why we need God's heart. We need God's heart, and God's heart is for sacrifice. So let's look at love that leads to sacrifice. The biblical precedent is the exact opposite of what we've just discussed. Verse seven. Now therefore, there is utterly a fault among you because you go to law one with another. Now listen, I wanna, I wanna point this out again and, and, and I, wanna, I don't wanna be redundant, but I wanna point this out again. There are many, many smart people in the world, aren't there? Very, very smart people, wise, wise in the world, if you will. Many people who are skilled in conflict resolution People go to college for this, right? Four years, six-year degrees in counseling, right? To learn how to, to work in conflict resolution. They, they give their whole life to this. All right, but listen to me. None of that seems to be enough to me. I mean, after all, after all, Republicans and Democrat, Democrats have been working at resolution since the, the, the beginning of our country. I mean, the United Nations has been in act to bring peace into the world for 76 years now. Things aren't going so well. These are the experts in conflict resolution in our world. They're the smartest in the world at negotiation. And yet, and yet, we can't figure out what to do with Russia. So why then does Paul suppose that we can manage to establish peace in our own conflicts? Because God has supernaturally outfitted us to sacrifice our will for the good of others, which is what the lost world doesn't understand. God has given us, his family, the ability to sacrifice our will for the good of others. And no peacekeeper could ever understand that, not fully. 1 John 3, 1 says this, Behold, what manner of love the Father hath bestowed upon us, that we should be called the sons of God. Therefore, the world knoweth us not, because it knew him not. What has God done? He's bestowed upon us love. He's made us sons of God. He's bestowed upon us love. 1 John 3.16 says, Hereby perceive we the love of God because he laid down his life for us. He laid down his life for us and we ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. We have the perfect example, don't we? Jump down to verse 23 and this is his commandment that we should believe on the name of the Son of Jesus Christ and love one another as he gave us commandment. Model yourselves after that love. Model yourselves after the, the love of Jesus Christ, the one who poured out his love for you, the one you say you worship, 
the one that you call your beloved, the one you call your friend. He's modeled everything you could possibly need to know how to do this. And he's commanded that you love the, the church the way that he loves the church. To lay down your life, to prefer, prefer the brethren over yourself. 1 John 4, 7 says this, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is of God. And we are, of, we are of God. We are sons of God. We just learned that, right? Love is of God, and anyone that's indwelled by his spirit is also of love. You are a person of love. For, for love is of God, and everyone that loveth is born of God and knoweth God, and he that loveth not knoweth not God, for God is love. Verse 11 of chapter 4, Beloved, if God so loved us, we ought also to love one another. Here's the key point. His sacrificial love, it bound us together spiritually, didn't it? His sacrificial love, it bound us spiritually together. It made us the body of Christ. It brought us together in a way that only God could do. We could never be united like this outside of the blood of Jesus Christ. We could never truly know family. We could, truly, we could truly never know friendship or fellowship. We could never have purpose one with another. We could never have harmony. We could never have bl black and brown and white brothers and sisters getting along in the same room. God, God forbid, how, how could that even be possible? How could we have people in the same room from places all over the world and yet unify the blood of Jesus Christ, the sacrifice he made. He, he has bound us together spiritually. Now listen, because of that, our sacrificial love, one towards another, binds us relationally. His sacrificial love bound us, but our sacrificial love binds us. So we have to learn to live that way. The glory of God is greater than the rationality of men. The love of God constrains and it makes us able to give up and to give over. We don't have to be right. I don't have to be right. I don't have to have the answers. I don't have to win. In fact, I will gladly lose if it means that I retain love towards my brethren. It says, why do ye not rather take wrong? Why do ye not rather suffer yourselves to be defrauded? Nay, you do wrong and defraud, and that your brethren. You would rather defraud someone else than be defrauded. There's something wrong with that. See, what God is telling us is that we ought to lay down our lives. We don't need to be right. We don't need to have all the answers. We don't have to, we don't have to be the one that wins. We win when we keep each other. That's how you win. And if that means that you have to die to get it done, that's what you do. That's what you do. Key point. Willingness to take the wrong is, is the beginning of resolution. Okay, maybe you're not wrong. Maybe you're right. Maybe you're right. Maybe someone mistreated you and you are actually right. But if you want there to be resolution, you have to approach that person 
as though you're willing to be wrong. You're willing to take the wrong. Are you willing? Are you willing to be defrauded? Christ was defrauded on our behalf so that we might have him. Was he not defrauded in the worst way possible? Wasn't he made shame on our behalf? Was he not scoffed at and mocked? Was he not hated? Was he not despised? Remember, the world hated him first. And yet we're not willing to do the same on behalf of our brethren. Be mature. Be spiritually minded. Be like your Savior. Lay it down. Let it go. So how do we resolve conflict? How do, how, what are the steps? Well, the first step is this. If a disagreement or stress can be forgiven without, without, you know, without any anger or bitterness in your heart, just forgive it. Just forgive it. If someone treated you poorly, let's say someone treated you poorly this morning. You know, you're with your brothers and sisters in Christ and you were going about your business and you were trying to be helpful and someone treated you poorly. They, 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 they didn't acknowledge you or they dismissed you or, or whatever it is. And you, you feel you feel like you may have been wronged. What if, what if you were so spiritual that you could just say, whoa, I don't even care. I know that that person loves me. And even if they don't, I love them more than the way that they just treated me. And it's okay with me. The Bible calls this forbearing, and it's the first step. It's the first step, learning to forbear. Colossians 3.13, forbearing one another and forgiving one another. If any man have a quarrel against you, even as Christ forgave you, so also do ye. Pretty straightforward. Like, Christ never came to me with a list of all the ways in which I wronged him. He never sat down with me before my salvation and said to me, you know, before we get into the business of forgiveness, Let's talk about all the ways you suck. And remember when you were six and a half and you treated your next door neighbor, that little girl, you pulled her hair. Remember that? Well, I've got that. That's here. Then the next day you did this and the next day you did this. And then, you know, 20 years later, I've gotten the list. And now I'm ready for salvation because I know all the ways in which I hurt. No, 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 no. Christ forbear your sin. The cross forgave all of it. He said, let me, let me cover this with my love. I mean, you and I both know that you kind of suck and that you've treated me poorly. But listen, listen, I've done something to fix that. That's what forbearance is. Key point. If relational healing can come by forgiving and letting go, do that. Do that. Forbear. Let it go. Brush it off. Let your love be big. That's where we need to start. That's step number one. But if that won't work, if there's still unresolved conflict and it's getting in the way of ministry, it's getting in the way of life, and you can't, you can't seem to let it go, or maybe they're not letting it go, and something is left to linger, then it needs to be dealt with. And Christ gives us a formula for that. 
And it starts here in Matthew chapter 18, verse 15. Next step is this. Go to them in humility. Moreover, if thy brother... Okay, so this is Christ teaching his disciples how to make relationships right that are wrong, okay? Verse 15. Moreover, if thy brother shall trespass against thee, go and tell him his fault between thee and him alone. And if he shall hear thee, thou hast gained thy brother. Okay, what's Christ saying? He's saying, okay, if you've got a problem, if there's a fault, if there's bitterness, if there's a frustration, go to them one-on-one and try to make it right. Talk through it. Be willing to take the fault. Remember, we already talked about that. Be willing to take the wrong. Go with that heart posture and that attitude. But you've got to go to them one-on-one first. Before you drag their name through the mud, before you go talk to 20 people, before you go get counsel, sit down with them one-on-one and say, hey, look... I know that there's something going on. I know that we both feel this way. I know that you feel this way, or I know that I feel this way. Can we work through it? In what ways have I wronged you? Can we make that right? Can, can I apologize for anything? Can I, can I lay my life down? You tell me, what did, I do? what did I do wrong? And I'll own it. But sometimes that doesn't work. And so the next step is this, go to them with mediators. Go to them with mediators. Christ says this, but if he will not hear thee, then take with thee one or two more, that in the mouth of two or three witnesses, every word may be established. Okay, now you've got witnesses that are getting involved, they're helping you mediate, and they're sifting through the problems, because it's complex, it's a difficult situation, and we really don't know how to resolve it between the two of us. Okay, that's good, that's all right. God's got an answer for that. Bring a couple of mature believers with you, Sit down and work towards resolution. With the idea in mind, I will lay down my life and I will forbear at every corner. And, and listen to me. I, like I've been in ministry for a while now. 99% of the time, this is where it ends. Things are resolved by this point. Now actually, 85% of stuff gets resolved when you just go to them one-on-one. Okay? But the other 10%, it gets made up right here, at least, at least another 10% of those relationships. If you bring a mediator in, they're going to help you get that thing resolved, and it usually works. God works through his plan. But then sometimes it doesn't, and that's, number, that's step number four. Go, go, to, go to them, what are they, right there? Yeah. Go before church leadership. Go before leadership. Okay, so if you have to, it gets to that point where you've had mediators and you've worked and worked and worked, go before the leadership and see if the leadership can't help. Go to your pastor and say, hey, hey, will you help me with this situation? It's just, it's gotten out of hand and I don't know what to do. And let the pastor get involved and help, okay? And by this point, 99% of all situations will get resolved. But then there's sometimes number five, and that's this. A refusal to be unified may result in church discipline. Sometimes that 1%, that outlier, just refuses to do what's right. And they want to be a railer. They want to be a railer. They want to be divisive. They've chosen divisiveness. They don't, want, they don't want help and they don't want to resolve the situation. Well, what else do you do with that person? There's not much you can do. And so we're back to 1 Corinthians chapter 5, right? But God has given a solution on how to deal with this stuff. And he's given you his spirit and he's given you his word and he's made you a lover of souls, and he's made you a lover of men, and he's made you a family, and he's died for you, and he's bled for you, so that all of this can be right. 
so that we can be friends, so that even, even though, even though sometimes we hurt each other, we can remain family. It feels really good. Some of you guys are looking at each other and like, hey man, I love you, bro. I love you. I mean, really, it's just Xander and Alvaro looking at each other longingly and full of love. I don't really know what's going on. Before the sermon, were you guys upset with each other? And then now, by the end of it, you're just like, love each other with all your hearts? You needed this? Okay, good. Listen, y'all. How could we possibly, how could we possibly do the mission of God unless our relationships are right? Let me end right here. Verse 9. Know ye not that the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God? I mean, he's reminding us who, of who the lost world is. Who are you going to for your answers? Answers for your financial problems, answers for your relationship problems, answers for your anxiety, right? Whatever it is, you're going to these people. You're going to the unrighteous. And these people will not inherit the kingdom of God. Be not deceived, neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate, nor abusers of themselves with mankind, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners, shall inherit the kingdom of God. They're not like you. They don't have what you have. Now, before you get proud, verse 11, and such were some of you. That's who you used to be. I mean, did you have any sense before you were saved? I mean, did you, did you have any sense? I mean, I didn't. Until you knew God, wasn't your life just a mess? And you're gonna go to people that are lost in a mess like you used to be for answers? Come on now. That's just, that's just a bad idea. But ye are washed but ye are sanctified. You, the church, you're the sanctified bride of Christ. But ye are justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and the spirit of our God. And so why don't you deal with your own stuff? Deal with it in-house. Key point. This is the thing we need to take away from this last part. Love the lost, but don't seek their counsel. Love them, love them, love them. Share with them the gospel. Give your life for them. But listen to me. Do you think you can give your life for the lost if you can't give your life for the brethren? Do you actually think you can love the lost world right? But your relationships in here aren't what they're supposed to be. You're not fully devoted here. You're not about your family. You think you're gonna go do work for the Lord? You can't even see souls straight. Love the lost, don't seek their counsel, win them, win them. Love each other, die for each other, prefer each other. And when you live that way, things will be right and we'll be a force to be reckoned with, won't we? I'm gonna invite uh, Seth up to lead us in worship. We're gonna close, it's hot in here. Feels like a steamy biscuit <laughs> in here. We probably don't need the whole team, I don't know, but... Seth, a little, a little acoustic ditty would be good. And as we close, listen to me. Enjoy your wonderful weekend, but here's the deal. I know for a fact there are people in here that have had relationship issues, okay? And, uh, and you need to follow the prescription that God has given us here, that Jesus gave us. And you need to decide today to go, to go to someone and speak with them about the problem that you have, to work through it, 
be willing to take the fault, but deal with it. Let's deal with it. Can we agree to do that? If there are relationships that are a little bit messed up, if there's a tear of any regard, maybe you can just forbear it, let it go. But maybe some of you need to talk with one another. You know, I was thinking about this. We've got the Vietnam team with us in here today. It's been a while since they've been with us. Yeah, we love them. And we're grateful for them. And they're, they're going to be with us, you know, maybe quarterly until they leave. And, and so these, this is a precious moment. But I'm thinking that tight-knit group is going to go to the other side of the world and they're going to do ministry. If they don't get this right with one another, they won't be able to get what they need to get done done. Now, that's true for us, too. You're saying that you want to grow in the Lord. You're saying that you want to get discipled. You're saying that you want to move forward in faith. You're saying that God's calling you to leadership. You're saying that God's called you to the mission field. You're saying that God's called you to do more than what you're doing. Is that so? Not if you don't have right relationships with your brothers and sisters in Christ. And so if there's someone you need to talk to today, let's do that. But there will also be some counselors standing up here. And some of you may need a mediator. So grab two or three people. And go sit down and let, and let them help mediate a situation. Can we do that? Yes. Let's do that. Okay, let's, can we ask the Lord to help? Hey, seniors. Welcome to the club. You just got initiated. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, you are so good to us. Uh, thank you for being our friend. Thank you for helping us with all our struggles. Would you guide us? We need a shepherd because we are aimless sheep. And we so often fall outside of your guidance and your protection because we do things in our flesh and we run to the world for answers when all the while you've provided us with everything we need to deal with our problems. God, would you help us today to deal with those problems in the power of your spirit and in light of what scripture says? Well, would you help these young people to make decisions even right now, decisions in, in relationships that if they can get those things right will affect their lives forever moving forward. Everything about who they are will change based on how they decide to treat each other. So would you help them and guide them as the good shepherd? Lord, be with us in this invitation, this time of worship. Provoke us to do what's right. I pray in Christ's name, amen. that today's message encouraged you to follow Christ in his word. For more information about Kaya, for service times and information about our disciple-making ministry, please visit our website at caya.live.